0: Until I was 27, that I finally put a plan in place to get out of my abusive marriage. And even once I put a plan in place, it took another five years until I was able to actually escape. What was the plan? Well, my plan was twofold. The first thing I did was save up cash because I didn't have any of my own money. And that was very difficult to do because I had a very abusive husband who didn't allow me to have anything personal or private he would look through all my belongings down to the pockets of my skirts hanging in my closet. So the only place that I could hide money was a box of cereal in the pantry closet. It was a box of whole grain total. And since I've never met anybody who likes total, I figured that would be a safe place to hide cash.
1: (laughs) It's gonna be a really neat behind the scenes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. Because something always magical happens. Wait, what? Did you just make that up? Hey, it's Meredith For Real, the Curious Introvert. Listen each week as I talk with someone new. The topics are as ADD as I am, but they'll inspire you to stay curious and grow. Big thanks to our location sponsor, the UWF Historical Trust. Hey, Curiositers. It's me, Meredith. I don't know about you, but I love me a good rabbit trail. When I was researching for the episode I did on human trafficking, episode 30, if you're interested, a YouTube video on forced marriage surfaced, and I was shocked that it was about forced marriage in the United States. That's when I learned about my next guest and her incredible organization to help victims of forced marriage plan and implement escape plans, as well as advocate for legislation to end child marriage this is definitely one of those episodes where you'll say, what? This happens here? And that's good because one of my goals with the show is to help you discover topics and people that maybe are less obvious, maybe not headlining in the news, but worthy of your curiosity. And you know, all delivered to your ears in bite-sized 30-minute segments. (laughs) I'd love to know what you think of this episode or any others that you listen to, so be sure to Follow me on social media and let me know. I'm Meredith For Real on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, let's dive in. My next guest was 19 when her family arranged for her to marry a man who turned out to be violent. But with no education or job in an insular religious community where only men have the right to grant a divorce, she fell trapped. Years later, she escaped and created a new life for herself that included Unchained at Last, an organization dedicated to ending forced and child marriage in the US. And yes, I said the United States. Today, she'll share her story, shed light on child marriage in the US, and the work that Unchained does. Ally, Rear Ranger of Life, Unchained and Unfettered, Frady Reese, everyone. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you. What a wonderful introduction. (laughs) I'm glad you liked it. I know that uh, you have a very busy schedule, so I'm very grateful that you carved out time for your day for this. And knowing all that your organization does, having kind of prepared for our chat, I truly feel that you and your team should have like Wonder Woman shirts or something.
0: We do. We have actually not shirts, but we have mugs that say "Unchainer of Women and a Super Friend. So it's and it has a little picture of a superhero.
1: I love the uh, Super Friend. That's so good. (laughs) Well, I've been mentioning this chat for a few weeks to people And they are all like super shocked that forced marriage and child marriage even exist in the U.S. They had no idea. They're like, are you sure? You know what you're talking about? So can we start with the story of how you ended in that situation?
0: Yeah, and I think that's important because I get that same reaction on a daily basis as well. And often, in fact, when I tell people my story, they say, oh, where are you from, Iran? Uh, No, I'm from Brooklyn. I grew up in New York City, so... I mean, it's about as American as it gets. So uh, while I grew up in a very insular religious community, there are a lot of places in many different communities in the U.S. where forced marriage and child marriage are still happening. But in my personal, my own story, it was an insular religious community, as I said, in Brooklyn, in New York City, where forced marriage is the norm, child marriage is the norm, and Your marriage, your parents arrange your marriage for you when you're young. You have very little say in the matter, if any say at all.
1: I watched the um, Netflix documentary called Unorthodox, which was about the Deborah Feldman. It was based on her story, and that was a Satmar Hasidic community. Was your community similar? It was similar. Now, the, the Orthodox Jewish
0: community is, uh, is larger than you would expect, and it's not at all a monolithic community. So certainly the circles that I was raised in was not exactly the, uh, the way it was portrayed in unorthodox, uh, both the way it was portrayed in the, in the series and in the memoir and in the, the actual life of Deborah Feldman, who I've had the honor of meeting so, but there were definitely a lot of similarities and there were actually some aspects of the Netflix show that really infuriated me because they were so far off base. And in fact, a lot of it was not based at all on the memoir and, and on actual fact of what goes on. But certainly the aesthetics of it, the, 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 that whole notion of you're raised in a very insular community where you don't really know much of what goes on outside of your own very, very, very small world. And that it's just accepted that you're going to marry a stranger that your family chooses for you. That was uh, very, very similar to my own experience.
1: And so in your experience, he turned violent as I, we kind of set the stage for. When did you decide that this didn't have to be your life? When did you feel that feeling and you decided, I have to find another option?
0: Took a long time because here's the thing that people don't realize. If you're forced into a marriage, you're probably also forced to stay in it. Somebody who has little or no choice about entering it uh, typically has little or no choice about leaving that marriage. So, for example, in my own situation, I had, first of all, no reproductive rights. I was not allowed to use birth control, and I was required to have sex with my husband. So my first child was born 11 months after my wedding. And Pretty soon I had two daughters. I also had no financial rights. I was not allowed to work I was not allowed to have any of my own money or credit card a bank account In fact under orthodox jewish law any money I earned would have belonged to my husband if he would have allowed me to earn money I also had limited legal rights under orthodox jewish law a man is allowed to divorce his wife But a woman is not allowed to divorce her husband So I didn't even have the legal right to end my own marriage. So I was really just trapped. And this is the unfortunate trap that a lot of people in a forced marriage, these kinds of religious laws, social customs, create incredible barriers for those who even think of leaving. So for me, it wasn't until I was 27. So I was married at 20 and it wasn't until I was 27 that I finally put a plan in place to get out of my abusive marriage. And even once I put a plan in place, it took another five years until I was able to actually escape. What was the plan? Well, my plan was twofold. The first thing I did was save up cash because I didn't have any of my own money, and that was very difficult to do because I had a very abusive husband who didn't allow me to have anything personal or private. He would look through all my belongings down to the pockets of my skirts hanging in my closet. So the only place that I could hide money was a box of cereal in the pantry closet. It was a box of whole grain total and since i've never met anybody who likes total i figured that would be a safe place to hide cash and but the other part of my plan was to get an education in the community i grew up and i want to be very clear by the way when i talk about the ultra orthodox jewish community it's a very very tiny segment of the bigger jewish community mm-hmm. so you know, if you know somebody who's if you're jewish or you know somebody who's jewish this is probably very different from the way you grew up or the way that person grew up it's a very insular religious community where uh, these kinds of practices happen. But unlike what the Jewish community at large where there's often a, you know, the, the, uh, the old cliches that they're very focused on education in the community where I grew up education was very much frowned upon because any kind of education gives, empowers you and, and gives you, you know, some uh, questions that they don't want you asking. So I be, education, I was never allowed to have one. I had gone to an all girls school where I learned how to cook and sew at, in high school. By the way, I failed cooking and sewing. And I, uh, but I became the first person in my family to go to college. And over those five years, attended Rutgers University in New Jersey. We had moved to New Jersey at that point. And it was when I graduated
1: from Rutgers that I was finally able to change the locks, file for divorce. That's incredible. When I think about the percentage of women that are in abusive situations where they can legally file for divorce, you know, where, they're, where they have so much more on their side, such a small percentage are able to just have the fortitude to make a plan, follow through the plan, hang in there and do the thing. What was it that you thought about when you were facing all these obstacles? What gave you that strength to do that?
0: You know, people ask me that a lot, and I, I wish I had a more specific answer because I think that that would be helpful to people who are back in that situation. I know that there are people in that situation yeah. now; they're in that mode where I'd, they need to create the plan, or they're in that um, okay, I'm working toward leaving, but this is taking so long. How can I, how can I hang in there? How can I make it? I, I think what it came down to for me was it was it felt very much for me like a life and death situation. Mm-hmm. I then husband would describe to me in detail how he was going to kill me. And it seemed very believable. I I believed that he was going to kill me and possibly my daughters as well. So when you're in a situation like that, there's nothing that you wouldn't do. It, I got to the point where it was harder to stay than to leave. And I think that's what yeah. the, the secret was for me. So I hope other people don't get, have to get to that point. I wish there was some kind of secret formula that we could share among ourselves, how to, how to stay strong when you need to get out of a bad situation.
1: I Actually, I think you hit on it. I think that within, I know men are, it can be in abusive relationships too. I know that happens, but I can only speak as a woman. I, I think that women, we have that maternal feminine strength that once we recognize we already have it, that it can move some serious mountains and that's what can give you the, the ideas, it can give you the creativity, it can gr- give you the follow through, the strength, you know, the determination. I think it's already in the women and they just have to tap into it. So I actually think you did answer the question. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, I'm even sure it's gender specific. I think that as humans, we are genetically programmed to want to survive. And that when we're in a situation where we feel we will not, that we're often able to do things we never thought
1: were possible. Well, you've definitely done more than survive. When you started Unchained, tell me about about what Unchained uh, originally was set out to do and kind of how it also evolved to incorporate ending child marriage.
0: Yes, it's certainly Unchained has turned into something that I at first (laughs) did not at all dream of. When I first started Unchained at Last. I was a single mom with two kids working full-time, and I I had this sense of survivor's guilt that I had gotten out of my bad situation. I had managed to save up enough money and become financially independent enough that I was able to buy a small house for myself and my two daughters, a little Cape Cod, but I still called it the Palais de Triomphe, <laughs> an ambitious name for a, a tiny Cape Cod, but it, it felt very much to us like a, a palace of triumph. And i i wanted to help other people i knew there were others who were stuck in that same situation so i started unchained at last imagining that it would be direct services only and i imagined that the people that the organization would help would be primarily women adult women for some reason it didn't occur to me even though the community i grew up in they were girls getting married for some reason i imagined this would be women and i thought that i would keep my job and it would take a couple of hours a week on the side i would Help out. Our original business plan that I wrote up in 2011 said we will help five women the first year, 10 women the second year. And the way we'll help them primarily is through trying to get them free legal representation. And my idea was that we would just call lawyers wherever it was that these women, I thought it would be women, were located. We just call family attorneys near them. And beg them to take on these cases pro bono because I knew that what what kept me trapped for a long time was I just didn't even have money for a divorce attorney until I was able to save up cash. I just couldn't leave. And so my whole, this whole idea turned out very quickly to be, um, you know, just a tiny, a tiny little piece of of a much bigger puzzle. Because when I said, oh, we'll help five women the first year, by the end of the first year, we had 30 clients. (gasps) 30? And this whole notion of it's going to take a couple hours a week on the side. No, this is a full-time position and you need a big staff helping you. And this whole idea of we're going to get women legal representation, there's so much more that they need. You can get them all the lawyers, they can get them a really great team. But first of all, if you have to beg, uh, you know, find a strange attorney each time and, and start begging and pleading and... Getting outside their office to get them uh, to do this pro bono. That's just not a viable plan. But also with even the best legal team in the world, if you're not getting the emotional support, if you don't have a place, if you don't have a way to get out of where you're being being held against your will, I mean, all of that, then then the attorneys don't help you. So what very quickly happened was we started providing other services as well. The emotional support became just as important. We developed eventually this mentoring program where once you go through the program and you're feeling good and you're in a safe and strong place, you can provide emotional support and mentoring to somebody who's still going through their trauma and the worst of it. Uh, Implementing escape plans became, well, creating and implementing escape plans became one of our number one and the mentorship became one of our biggest, among our biggest programs. And we also started developing relationships with large law firms across the United States so that we didn't have to start, again, from scratch each time begging an attorney, hey, can you take this on? We had these large law firms that were able to take on multiple cases. But what we, so then it quickly became, you know, something much bigger than what I had imagined and, and our direct services were much more extensive. The whole, we don't need a budget thing turned out not to be the case. Obviously, <laughs> you need a budget, you need a staff. But what still came as a surprise was more and more girls under the age of 18 were reaching out to ask for the same help. And we discovered because of the way the laws are written, there's almost nothing we can do to help them. The only way to help them is to change the laws, which at that time allowed child marriage in all 50 U.S. states. And so that's how we then came uh, to add this advocacy component to Unchained at Last. And we took on this little project in our (laughs) spare time. We're just going to end child marriage in the United States. No big deal.
1: No big deal. Yeah. And that was 2015 for those of you listening or watching that uh, there was no minimum marriage age in any state in the US, which blows my mind. So here's my question. How can the US State Department call child marriage a human rights abuse? Yet It's like pulling teeth to get it passed on definitely a state level, but even at a federal level and just be done with it.
0: Yeah that's the it's the ultimate in American exceptionalism. Even our human rights abuses are somehow better than others. So sure when the US State Department is setting, is setting our foreign policy, it's looking around at other countries, it's saying, "Wow, you other countries, you better shape up. Time to stop ch- marrying off children. The marriage age should be 18." And yet in the United States at that time, marriage before 18 was legal across the board. 50 states, District of Columbia, five U.S. territories all allowed marriage before the age of 18. And in more than half of the United States, the effective marriage age was zero because there was no minimum age specified in the law. So toddlers
1: could legally get married. Yeah. I remember you were talking in one, uh, I think it was you and some of your legal team were talking on another interview about someone who had arranged a marriage for their infant Or tried to, and it got blocked and whatever, but it just, here's my other question about this on the legal side is sometimes money is exchanged in these situations, right? The dowry, whatever. How the heck is that not human trafficking? Because money is exchanged.
0: Oh, it, in many cases, child marriage is human trafficking. In fact, so when we talk about forced marriage and child marriage, using the legal marriage legitimizes it in a way that it doesn't deserve. A marriage is a union between two willing partners. When one party is forced, when one party is a child who doesn't have the legal right to say no to the marriage or to get out of it once in it, in many cases, that's not marriage. That's human trafficking. That's child abuse. In, in many cases, it's child rape. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it means a, a lifetime of of rape and domestic servitude in many cases. And as I, I can personally attest from my own situation and from the, the hundreds of survivors we have now worked with at Unchained at Last, forced marriage for women and girls often also means forced motherhood. Yeah. It also means a complete loss of any reproductive rights.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of a, a question or a I guess an objection that I think you've heard before that comes up is... What about uh, what about incidents outside of these, you know, uh, communities that where a pregnant teenager isn't she just better off if she gets married? Well, there's two
0: different questions here. I mean, when you say outside these communities, this is happening everywhere. We have not identified one community that's practicing forced marriage or child marriage you know, the the survivors who have come to us for help or have come to us and said, this happened to me, I want to help others. They have come from every major religion, minor religions, secular communities. They have come from families that have been in the United States for many generations, as well as immigrant families from countries of origin on every inhabited continent. So there is no outside of these communities. This is the United, this is a United States problem. This is not one ethnicity, one religion, uh, one culture. I want to make that clear. But certainly the the question about, well, girl gets pregnant, shouldn't she get married? Well, the absolute definite 100% answer is no, she should not. We could talk about the reasons to end child marriage, and there are many, but one of the main ones is that there are devastating lifelong repercussions. Right here in the United States, extensive research shows that a girl or a woman who married at or before 18... Uh, faces lifelong, serious, devastating, really consequences in almost every aspect of her life—from her health to her education to her economic opportunities to her increased likelihood of experiencing violence within that marriage. Every single aspect of a girl or woman's life is impacted, in a in a horrendous way, by a marriage at or before eighteen. And yet what, what the research shows is that while the harm to any girl or woman in the United States for a, marriage, a child marriage is great, when it comes to a pregnant teenage girl, the harms are even more extensive. And so ex- so what we know from the research is that a pregnant teenage girl in the United States who marries is more likely to suffer economic deprivation and instability than a pregnant teenage girl in the United States who stays single. So she and the baby are better off if she does not marry. You are not doing this girl any favor if you marry her off. The other really important aspect of this is there used to be a lot of states that had pregnancy exceptions to the marriage age. And thankfully, states are moving away from that. And there are only now a handful of states that still allow a pregnancy exception to the marriage age. And that's A, because of what I just said about the research showing that the pregnant teenage girl is better off staying single. But the other really important reason is that pregnancy exceptions have been used to cover up rape and to force girls to marry their rapist, which is I mean it's just unspeakable when something like that happens and it had happened so many times that that legislators said well, this is this is just not okay we need to change the law on this especially there were some stories that gained national media attention of girls there was uh, there was one woman, there's one woman from Florida, Sherry Johnson, who became almost the face of this in the United States, who was uh, raped when she was nine, gave birth at 10, and when she was 11, her mother forced her to marry her adult rapist because he was the deacon at church and she didn't want him going to prison. So when you allow a pregnancy exception to the marriage age, remember, girls can get pregnant as young as nine. So that means you want to establish a marriage age of nine, and for what reason? Right. So uh, again, we're not doing a girl any favor by marrying her off if she's pregnant, and we never, of course, want to marry off a girl to her rapist to cover up a rape.
1: No. If the research show – and you may not be able to answer this question, but um, I'm just wondering if the research supports – all of this data of why marrying young in general is so detrimental not only to the person involved but also to society right because society is made up of people why why are these bills like why is it not getting passed state to state is are they standalone things or are they connected with other um, bills that people don't like what's the hold up i guess so, you know, we at first thought legislators
0: just don't know that child marriage is happening here as soon as we pointed out to them and we point out how easy it is to fix it. It's so easy to legislate this away because most states already said 18 as the marriage age. It's these loopholes in the law that are allowing we our our research showed that between 2000 and 2010, almost a quarter of a million children were married in the United States. Almost all of them girls married to adult men. It's so easy to fix it. All you do is go into the law. I can write it for you. I can take it takes less than you know ten seconds to write this bill. You just cross out the lines. It <laughs> says you cannot marry before eighteen unless yada yada yada. Just delete unless yada yada yada. Yeah, it's so simple. And so we thought, of course, legislators are going to give us a hug and a high five, and they're going to pass <laughs> this right away. And what we have found is that this is legislation. That even though it harms no one and costs nothing as totally common sense, it ends a human rights abuse that destroys girls' lives. Legislators are just not interested because all it does is help girls. All it does is save almost all the children who marry in the United States are girls married to adult men. And legislators just are not concerned about girls. So I think the biggest, the biggest obstacle is really just indifference. It's just legislators Mm. who say, oh, yeah, we'll get to that. It makes sense. We'll get to that eventually. And then the second biggest obstacle is we had a lot of legislators who looked us in the eye and said, you know, I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy. Just I still believe if a girl gets pregnant, she's got to get married, even if she was raped.
1: Hey, everyone. Just a quick interruption to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. The UWF Historical Trust. We shoot the show in the Museum of Commerce and the TT Wentworth Museum. And not only is this an amazing step back into the 18 and 1900s, but it's an event space too. How cool is that? You can see everything at historicpensacola.org. If you wanna tour one of the 12 museums, and yes, Pensacola has 12 museums, and you get your tickets in person, show the ticket agent one of my emails and you'll get $2 off an adult ticket. You can get emails by texting real to 66866. So I don't have kids, but I also wanna tell you about It's Your Magazine. They're a national family-centered publishing company with free parent magazines. They have parenting advice, events, and inspiration. I'm actually in a networking group with the publisher and this guy is all about family. You can view a free magazine in cities in Texas, Oregon, Washington, and Florida by checking them out at itsyourmagazine.com. And in So I've always felt iffy about pesticides. Then the mosquitoes got so bad, I would get covered in them from walking from my house to the car. I called Insec, and to say I've been impressed is an understatement. When the treatment wasn't quite doing it, the owner actually came to my house. He found the breeding sites, identified the species of mosquito, and adjusted my treatment to that species. That's when I found out he's also a beekeeper, and pollinator issues are always top of mind. So if you're in the Florida Panhandle or Gulf Coast of Alabama, give him a call. ENSEC.net and Dr. Rob Thompson in Pensacola, Florida. There are a million chiropractors in this town, but Dr. Rob is different. He doesn't just give you a crack pop and a slap on the ass. I mean, that would actually be really inappropriate. Uh, His pledge is to provide fast, efficient pain relief with no drawn out treatment plans or surprise bills. Since COVID, we all got 99 problems. Don't let pain be one of them. DoctorRobChiropractic.com. Now back to the show.
0: That's so you insane. know I have I have news for you legislators who say that out loud. I'm an old fashioned kind of guy. Sounds to me very much like code for I'm a misogynistic kind of guy. Yeah. And you know what? In the age of Me Too, that's just not okay anymore. Sounds you know, like maybe I'm that an- was cute back in the day, but you just can't get away with that anymore.
1: No, no that is. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like I'm an asshat kind of guy. (laughs) Right? And in fact, there was this
0: one legislator in Nevada who was not at all embarrassed to tell me when I, I pointed out that, you know, girls are married off to their own rapists under a pregnancy exception to the marriage age. He was not embarrassed to say, well, what's wrong with a girl marrying her rapist? I had a constituent who went to prison for marrying a girl. And when he got out, he married her and they have a very happy life together. Oh my gosh. Right. And so what we do at Unchained at Last is what we refer to those as vomitocious excuses for clinging to child marriage. And Wednesdays at Unchained at Last are vomitocious Wednesdays where we have the hashtag vomitocious excuses. And we share some of the really offensive things that these old-fashioned kind of guys have said to us about why we shouldn't end child marriage. And they're a hoot. I I recommend that everybody follow us at Unchained at Last to – to learn more about these. Uh, Hell yeah,
1: for sure. Because that's insane. And we can do better. Quite frankly, we can do better. Like that just. Yeah. So what state is close to passing? uh, What state is close to passing the laws for ending child marriage next?
0: Well, first, so we've been working since 2015. And so far, we have helped to end child marriage in four US states and two territories. Mm -hmm. The four states are Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. And by the way, Pennsylvania, Minnesota just happened in May. So I like to say we helped to end child marriage in those two states during a pandemic in Four Inch Hills.
1: Boom, boom. And killer red lipstick. What now? (laughs) Yeah. Mic drop. Mic drop. But no, no, don't drop the mic.
0: (laughs) Um. Of course, it was actually you know, years in the making, of course, yeah, and um, but it wasn't four inch heels because those are the only shoes I own. Um, <laughs> I well, love these days, I'm so mostly much. barefoot, but <laughs> nobody has to know that. Um, but the uh, so it took from two thousand and fifteen until two thousand and eighteen. It took a full three years, and yeah. so we got the first state to do it. and now we have um forty six, you know, four states down, only forty six to go. Right. so. Progress? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that, that's something. Yeah, it's the first few are the hardest. Um, you know, we're at the end of the, of the year. So most legislatures are either no longer in session or they're off for the summer or they're focusing only on COVID. It's really difficult mm. at this point to get anything done. So unlikely anything else will happen this year. But as of next year, we're going to be focusing again. I, I, at the beginning of the year, we usually... We often don't even we can't even predict because states just start copying other states and introducing legislation. But we expect somewhere between ten and fifteen states as of January okay to introduce legislation. We had that this year as well and last year. Most of them are going to die because you know we're a five member team at Unchained at Last mm-hmm. and we can only be in so many places at one time in our four inch heels and red lipstick. So you know we're pushing hard to do what we can, but these bills do not pass on their own. We need, you know, somebody pushing back against the old fashioned kind of guy. And, you know, there's, there's only so much we can do. So we're, you know, if we can just get, you know, a few more states each year and then build up, eventually we'll get to a point where there's enough momentum that, you know, the the bills will start passing more easily and we won't have to put up this much of a fight each time. Yes,
1: it will be peer pressure. And, I, I think this is the perfect time for, as we wrap up, for you to tell us how we can follow you, how we can help, what we can do, what we can look for.
0: Well, if you go to unchainedatlast.org, we have a, a take action tab that tells you there's specific things that everybody in the United States can do right now to help end child marriage. And there's they start it really simple, like follow us on social media, retweet, share, like, so that... You, you learned about this today. Maybe you were shocked. Make sure your friends and, and your family members know about this as well because the, the reason legislators feel comfortable right now past saying no to ending child marriage is because it doesn't affect them. Their mm-hmm. constituents aren't pushing back. If you if you tell your legislators, hey, I put you in office. I need you to end child marriage or you'll be out of a job, You know, they'll listen. They will listen to you. And we also, there are more extensive things. You can host a postcard party. We can help you do that. We, we, we can walk you through that. And we also, once we're allowed to leave our houses again, and uh, they say eventually that will happen. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who um, Yeah, so we want to go back to doing, we invented a form of peaceful protest called a chain-in, where we all gather in bridal gowns and chains to show legislators what life looks like for somebody who's forced to marry. We provide the bridal gowns and the chains, and people also donate to us their bridal gowns. We have more than 50 bridal gowns that people have donated to us that we can use at our chain-in, so First of all, if your bridal gown is sitting in a closet and either you know it went really well and you have really beautiful <laughs> memories from it, and but it's just taking up too much space, you can send it in. Or if that didn't quite go as planned and now it's sitting there and you hate the sight of it, either way, send it in. You get a tax deduction. What's to lose? And and you get the extra closet space. And uh, but also join us at a chain in. We've done these at state legislatures and other locations around the United States. So once we're allowed to leave the house again, we might do one near yeah. you. Join us. It's a, quite an experience to stand in the in the State House wearing a bridal gown and a veil. And no matter what your gender identity is, we encourage everybody to wear a bridal gown and veil, and chain your wrists and tape your mouths to show. That's what happens. This is when somebody is forced to marry; mm. they are trapped and they are silenced.
1: Absolutely, but not for long. Because I feel success is around the corner, and I can't wait to share this with listeners. Thank you so much. This was such a good chat. I'm so glad that, thank you YouTube algorithm (laughs) for allowing me to find you um, when I was researching uh, something related. So I appreciate you and I appreciate the work that you're doing there. That's a wrap. You did great. Thank you. Are you still listening? Just kidding. Of course you are. Since you're here, here's some ways you can support the show. Stalk me on social media leave a review, share an episode with a friend, or check out my Teespring page for delightfully sarcastic apparel. Links are in the episode description.